Good morning. Thank you. How are we doing, Chris? Good. I got rebuked by the sound man last night. My microphone placement wasn't good. And anyway, don't make him mad. It's been a long time uh, since I've had the opportunity to serve in this capacity. Um, you know, I'm going to share a quick story. Jay, is he still in here? He walked out. Well, I'm going to share it anyway, and maybe he'll be back in by the time uh, I finish. But around 2006, I was on staff at this church, and we were on Burton Road, and there was probably like a whopping 20 people on a Sunday morning service for us, like all weekend 20, and like half of those 20 was the staff and, and their kids. <laughs> and uh, we were praying. Uh, I was just like, Lord, it, it's hard to do much with this many people. And I felt him say, well, pray, pray Matthew 9. Pray uh, uh, for the Lord of the harvest to send some workers. The harvest is ripe. Um, so I did. So for a week, that was like my focus of prayer. Like, Lord, just we need more workers. Send some workers. And that week, I want to say it was the Saturday night before church. Um, I can't remember exactly, but, but I know it was that week. Uh, I had a dream. And there were some people that came to me at the church. I said, well, who are you? They said, well, we're, we're here to do the work. And uh, I said, okay. And, and I woke up right afterwards, and I was speaking in tongues. I'm like, that is just do whack a do crazy. Like, I pray in tongues, you know, but stuff like that doesn't, doesn't happen to me, just like this specific dream, and then here I am praying in tongues. Um, but that next Sunday, whether it was that day or, or it was maybe a couple days later, uh, Ken and Nancy Turner and Brent and Kay uh, Grosskopf came walking um, through our doors. And they have been here for the last 14 years. And uh, Brent is Jay and, uh, Jay's in-laws, Tiff's uh, parents. And they said, hey, pray for our, our uh, daughter and son-in-law. They're, they're coming here from Ohio, and uh, uh, we want them to come to church. And, you know, uh, a couple months passed, they came here and came to be a part of this church. And, and so I say that. I, I was praying for more workers, right? Uh, and if you know, for the last decade and a half, we've gotten a lot of work out of Jay and Tiffany and their family. That was a fruitful prayer. <laughs> so if you ever doubt the power of your prayer, God listens, God hears, and that was probably one of the most fruitful prayers I've ever prayed. I'm going to share a little bit uh, about my testimony and just uh, my story here with this church. And, and from there, I'm going to launch off into a message I think that God has for us this morning. Um, in April of 1997, I attended a People's Church, still in Vancouver on the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen. Um, you know, in my home, we, we didn't attend church, weren't strong Christians. My grandma was, was a believer. Um, she passed when I was in like first or second grade and, and a couple of times after her passing, I went to church with my grandpa, but otherwise never gone to church. April, 1997, I go to a Wednesday night service at the, at the youth group. And, um, I don't remember what the message was about, but I can tell you at the end, the, the youth pastor gave an altar call and I didn't know, you know, I didn't know nothing about nothing. I'm 14 years old, right? Just a, just a kid. Don't know what I'm going to do with my life. But I knew in that moment, God is real, and God was calling me to be his. My goodness, and my life has never been the same. I surrendered to Jesus. 
I never went to church before that, but I, you couldn't kick me out like afterwards. I was there every Wednesday, every Sunday. I didn't miss anything. So I gave my life to Christ that night. And a little over a year later, um, I remember hearing rumblings about, hey, the, the lead pastor, his, his uh, daughter and son-in-law are coming back. They were in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I don't really know what that was about. And I remember um, being in the, the, the parking lot on the corner on, the, on Andreessen holding up a sign like, hey, car wash or whatever. I can't remember what we were doing. I think it was a fundraiser. Um, and I see this big green Cadillac roll in. And the pastor, the lead pastor was driving it. And then next to him was this like gargantuan of a man. Like I didn't know they made people that big. Well, that was our pastor, Daff. He's still as strong as an ox, but in that day, he had a few uh, extra pounds. He had a few extra. I wouldn't, not saying that, that uh, not calling him fat. I'm just saying he was, he was incredibly large. Are we broadcasting this service? He's trimmed down significantly. <laughs> Not that he had to. Uh, he's probably watching me right now. But, you know, he came up to me, and within a couple of weeks, like just deposit after deposit in my life, right? Just encouragement, kindness, love, and uh, a genuine interest in me. And right away, like spiritual father. And for 22 years now, we've been really, really close. Um, and I'm incredibly thankful for him. I thought he was sending me a text. It was my wife. <laughs> and so when he asked me a couple of weeks ago, he said, hey, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're taking vacation. Can you speak? Like, yeah, I mean... I'm, I'm not in need for th- of things to do. We're trying to, like, remodel our house. I'm sanding floors and painting wood windows, and we have three kids, and we work full-time jobs. But, like, no isn't an option. He's done so much for me, I couldn't. There's no way I could say no. I can't refuse him. So I, I went on to college not really knowing what I wanted to do with my life. Um, Dad went to George Fox University. My best friend went there, so I thought, well, I'm going to go there, too. Um, I had given some thought to law enforcement before that, but the depth of that was like, I've seen Vancouver police, you know, driving around, listening to the radio. Like I can do that. That sounds like fun. (laughs) Sounds like a pretty good job. But you know, I knew I was going to go to George Fox and they didn't have a criminal justice program. So I'm like, well, whatever, I'm going to go to George Fox. And uh, I got a degree in, in, in Christian ministries, not knowing what I, wanted, what I wanted to do after that. Davis said, just, ah, just come be with me. Just come be on staff. So, okay, so I did. Did that, continue pursuing education. And so um, in 2005, uh, I was associate pastor at Bethel Church um, on Burton Road in Vancouver, in East Vancouver. And a few years later, we were approached by some people said, hey, we'd really like to buy this building. We said, well, it's not for sale. I don't really care. Um, and they kept coming back with higher offers and higher offers. And we thought, what is going on? What, what will we do? What if we sold this building? What would we do? And it just so happened at the time, um, 
that, you know, Brian Davenport is the pastor of Bethel Church, and Jim Davenport was the pastor of Hazeldell Assembly of God. Um, and what we didn't know at the time, but later figured out, was those two churches were actually a split in, I want to say, the late 60s, early 70s, something like that. And part of our kind of our, our Protestant tradition was, well, we want to emphasize this thing. Oh, yeah, well, we want to emphasize this thing, so we're going to split. We don't like each other anymore. Not that we don't like each other anymore. We love you, but not enough to be together with you. <laughs> we're going to go do something else. Because <laughs> for over a 1,000 years, all of the Western world was one church, right? It was just the Roman Catholic Church. Unfortunately, there was a lot of abuses being done by the church, and so Martin Luther writes his 95 Theses saying, hey, um, you know, salvation is by faith. I don't have to, uh, you know, work in purgatory washing dishes for a couple hundred years. <laughs> I don't have to pay this much to the church and because of this sin. Like, it's salvation's by faith alone. So there's, there are some serious uh, abuses going on. And so uh, uh, Martin Luther actually wrote that up. He thought he was going to have an academic discussion, but he actually started a, a movement that split from the church. And uh, we're in that tradition, right? We've got Baptists, we've got Southern Baptists, we've got Methodists, United Methodists, Free Methodists. We have Assembly of God. We have Grace, or we we have a, a Foursquare. We've got however many um, denominations, right? And a lot of it's because, well, I want to emphasize this thing. I want to emphasize this thing. Well, the truth is really important, so we're going to split from you. But God actually calls us to unity. Truth is important, but so is unity. Ephesians four. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So in 2008, when we decided to come together and there was... Um, these churches that split, like I, I remember just the, the atmosphere in that room. I felt to me, it was like, like it was like a wedding day. Like in, 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 uh, after the last supper, when, when Jesus in, in the book of John, um, he gives that, you know, that discourse and, and, and prayer for the disciples. He talks about, you know, father, you are in me and I am in you. And then my disciples are in me and I am in you. And we're all one and together. And there's just power in this unity. That's what I felt um, in the room that day. It, that was our very first fish fry, 2008, maybe, I don't know, 150 people. And, and last, we didn't have many this year because of, you know, the COVID stuff. But last year, our fish fry was just shy of a thousand. Um, We've just been, been, been moving forward and doing some powerful things since then. But around that time, summer of 2008, I was feeling, you know what? I don't think vocation, vocational ministry is it. And I look back at, at law enforcement, and more so than just you know, being able to drive around and listen to the radio, <laughs> I felt like you know, justice and righteousness are, are uh, 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 powerful things that I wanted to be on the side of, and I felt like I wanted to pursue that more, and so I felt like law enforcement is it. And Julie and I had some friends um, who, at, at their church, they, went, they attended with a, a, a Vancouver police detective, and they said, hey, you need to go meet with this guy. And so in January of 2009, I, I met with him. He started work at like 6 in the morning, so we met at like 4.30 or 5 at Pete's Coffee and Tea. 
it was a crazy hour, and he told me two things that were, were pretty significant. He said, number one, remember this is beginning of 2009, he said, you should go check out this thing called CrossFit. And if you don't know about CrossFit, uh, it kind of came and, and it's kind of on its way maybe back down, but I, <clears throat> not unlike Dab, I had some weight to lose. And so I lost about 40 pounds in two months doing that. So I appreciate you told me that. And the other thing he said, hey, you should read Romans 13. This is like the ultimate uh, law enforcement passage. And I was familiar with the passage, but I never really thought of it um, in that way. But this is our, our main text that I want to look at this morning. And so if you can please bring up Romans 13. You guys can turn there in your own Bibles. We are reading from the TNIV this morning. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against that authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. I like to tell that to people in my interviews. (laughs) For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. You know, I don't know about you. um, Over the last four months, I've had a hard time heeding to these words. It has been crazy, right? Um, the, the authority, the decrees that have been issued by local, by state, by federal government has been pretty hard to obey. But what I want to do this morning is bring us back to a biblical reverence for those in authority. You know, I was writing, uh, as I was reading and thinking about this, I'm like, well, is, Ro- is, is Paul talking about some like really good, righteous leaders that were in place at the time he wrote this? Well, among the uh, academics, uh, the consensus is that, that the Caesar, the Roman Caesar at the time was narrow. And uh, if you know much about first century Christianity, one of the biggest persecutors of the church was Nero. Yeah. He wasn't righteous. He wasn't good. But he was in power when Paul wrote these words. I want us to look at some, new, some um, excuse me, Old Testament uh, 
examples of pure reverence that heroes of our faith gave to their leaders, even when they were wicked. David and Saul. Most, most of you know this story. Saul is anointed uh, king of Israel, but through his disobedience, you know, Samuel takes that away, and then he, he anoints uh, David king. As Saul is king, and, and, and uh, David, he, he does things like he comes to Saul and he plays his instrument before him. Because David, or excuse me, Saul gets tormented by uh, this wicked spirit. And as, and as David comes before him and plays an instrument for him, it says that it, it, it uh, relieves him. It, it, um, David's ministry brings some relief. But Saul, while David in there playing his instrument, throws a spear at David trying to kill him. And Saul continually tries to kill David, but David won't touch him. David, anointed as king, gets the support of people in Israel. And he conti- his power continues to gain while Saul's is waning, but David still won't touch him, even when Saul tries to pursue him and kill him. David flees the country, and, and eventually, um, or he, he, flees, he flees Jerusalem. Eventually, though, Saul, in war, commits suicide. He falls on his own spear. It says at the end of uh, 1 Samuel. Well, at the beginning of 2 Samuel, there's an Amalekite comes as a messenger to David. And he says, and he's thinking he's bringing David good news, right? And he says, hey, you're now king. Saul's dead. And David says to the messenger, well, how do you know that? And uh, he actually lies to him. So at the, end, you know, at the end of 1 Samuel, it says that Saul falls on his spear. But the messenger says, well, Saul was going to kill himself and fall on his spear, but he couldn't do it, so I, you know, I killed him. And so what David does is says, why were you not afraid to raise your hand against the Lord's anointed? And it kills him. Next one is looked at, at, at Daniel and his life. Beginning of the book of Daniel, um, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon comes and they besiege Israel. And they enslave the Israelites. And Daniel is one of those that is enslaved and has to uh, 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 serve the king. But Daniel has incredible wisdom. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he has this dream, and this dream is really bothering him because it's about the destruction of Babylon. And uh, none of his advisors can interpret it, and they're angry. And then in Daniel 4, um, Daniel comes to him, and he has the interpretation. He knows what it means. He knows that uh, it it has to do with the destruction of Babylon. It has to do, uh, uh, and and really it's against King Nebuchadnezzar. And as Daniel tells him, uh, the king that, besieged his country, the king that enslaved his people. But how he begins uh, that interpretation of the, of the dream is um, apologize. Here we are. He says, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. He has this total honor for King Nebuchadnezzar in his place, even though he's a wicked, unrighteous king. Finally, look at Daniel 6. King Darius comes into power, and his advisors um, trick him. Daniel's still there. The scripture says that Daniel is distinguished by his exceptional qualities. He's been displaying exceptional wisdom uh, in his advice to the king. And so the other guys, 
They don't like Daniel and what, he, what he's been doing, but they know that Daniel is full of integrity, and so they know, well, there's no way we can bring any charges against him, so let's trick King Darius. Let's convince him to make a decree that will force Daniel to violate the law of his God, and Daniel won't do that, so then we'll get him in trouble. So they do that, and they trick King Darius, and they say, hey, uh, let's make this law that no one in the land can pray to any god or any man except the king. And if they violate that law, then we're going to throw them in the lion's den and kill them. And King Darius says, okay, yeah, sounds like a good idea. Let's do that. <laughs> so he does, and then as Daniel hears about it, you know, he's disturbed. But you know what the very first thing he does? He violates it goes right upstairs to his room, just like he does three times a day. He opens his curtains, opens his window so everybody can see him, and he prays to God facing Jerusalem, just like he had done uh, every day. And of course, the, advers- the, the advisors see it, and they come up to, to King Darius. Hey, well, King Darius, you wrote that decree, remember? Here's Daniel, this guy that you like. Broke it. Going to have to kill him. Going to have to throw him into the lion's den. And so King Darius is, is trapped, and, uh, but he ends up, he's stuck, and so he does it. So he throws Daniel into the lion's den. And the scripture says that Daniel is there from sundown, and, and, and King, Nebuchadnezzar, or King Darius goes away, and they come up you know, at first light. Well, in the Middle East, you know how long it is from sundown to sunup? That's like 12 hours. Like the sun, they're, they're really close to the equator. It doesn't change. Um. You know, in North America, in Western culture, we're not real close to death. We don't see that very often. We're, we're pretty separate from it. But I can tell you in law enforcement, we investigate it really regularly. And it's kind of a weird thing to do. And so, I don't know, you, you, you talk with your buddies about stuff and try to make light of it. And so sometimes you think about, you go to a scene and think, man, that is a horrible way to go. I'd hate to, I'd hate to go that way. Or sometimes you see... Somebody that died, I'm like, well, that was probably quick and painless, and they didn't even feel it. Maybe that, that would be a, a, you know, a good way to go. Well, I can tell you, being mauled by lions, that's a bad way to go. That, how much fear and, and trembling does that cause? Oh, my goodness. And to sit there and stare at lions wanting to eat you for 12 hours in the dark. Horrible, right? Completely horrible. But check this out. So Darius, King Darius comes back that next morning. He says to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, knowing he screwed up, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Here's what Daniel says. O king, live forever. Like, my goodness, I would have had some words for King Darius, right? And after I, I, we talked about this last night, and I thought, well, maybe Daniel's really smart. Maybe he's thinking... I'll be really nice to the king while I'm next to the lions, and when he pulls me out, then I'm going to yell at him. I don't know. But I would have had some words. Uh, but look, Scripture gives us example after example, and it tells us those in authority are placed there by God. It is our duty, our responsibility to live in reverence, in honor for them. I don't know if you have a Twitter or a Facebook account, but that kind of flies in the face of what's going on, right? We are in this world to where, and I don't know if it's because we don't see each other because we're not in the same room all the time. Like they say communication is, you know, 10% the words that we say. 
right? And 90% of it is our intonation of our voice, um, our expression of our face, our posture, all that stuff goes into communicating. So I don't know if it's partly that, but when you're on, you know, social media and just writing out the words only, the small 10%, somehow we got to this place where we can say whatever we want about people and it's like, it's okay, it's accepted. And there's arguing and fighting and division and discord and lack of respect. You know, it wasn't that long ago where you slandered someone publicly or their family and say, that's it. Pistols tomorrow, noon, you and me. Like, we're going to duke it out. And you were, if you didn't show up to that, you were shamed. Like, words were taken much more seriously, right? You had to be careful what you said. And whoever didn't die was the winner of that dispute. Like, it was, there was a lot on the line. We're separate from that now. It's different. Um, we have a, a, a school resource officer in our department, as just about you know, every department does. Well, they used to uh, across the country. But um, he was telling me a story, and I thought this was a good example of, of, of just how, how far we've come from a respect for authority. And uh, there was a 12, 13-year-old girl, something like that, she was caught in some violation of the school. And so they're having a meeting. It was um, principal, parent, police officer, and the student. And the principal lays out, hey, look, what you did was really serious, and we have to take this seriously. So here's your options. You can either take two weeks of suspension where you have to stay at home. However, that's going to be really hard to recover from academically, and you're going to have a lot of ground to make up when you come back. I'm not sure if you can do it. The other option is you can do some um, detention after school, do some extra uh, you know, work on behalf of the school, show up for a couple of Saturdays, and they, they lay out this plan. Well, in front of the principal, the police, her parents, 12, 13 years old, just starts dropping cuss words about she's not going to be doing any detention or extra work for anybody, and, and uh, just foul speech from her mouth. And you know what she got? Exactly what she wanted. The mom was, well, I guess we just won't be doing Saturday school. I guess, well, well, I just, like, where did, how did we get that far? Like, I think, you know, Julie teaches me all the time about being a better, a better parent because we, you know, we used to be very, very authoritarian. Um, used to be, you know, kids are, are, are seen and not heard. Um, you know, basically do this or you're going to have some punishment. Like, that's a bad way to parent, right? And so we've come to this place, we realize that, and, and we, want to have, we want our kids to have a voice. We want them to, to, we want to uh, grow them in wisdom, have them be able to um, have, have a say in what goes on in their life, and that help, helps to train them, right? And it helps to build our connections with each other, and that's all good. But at the same time, it's not wheel and deal with the kids so they get whatever they want and have no respect for authority. Like, we have to command respect, Another area where this is revealed is, is just um, in these protests. And I'll say, you know, from this pulpit and as a police officer, like, I'm not standing here in condemnation of, you know, protesting police violence. There, there are, uh, obviously, we've, we've seen in recent days some abuses by law enforcement, which really, it stinks to say that. I want to think that every law enforcement officer always does the right thing 100% of the time. That's obviously not true. And so I wouldn't want to say that, you know, people that are, are wanting to protest that and say that, hey, I've experienced some abuse, like, sure, we, we'll, let's hear that. But 
you know, just across the river, what's been going on the last two and a half months, like there is um, bags of urine, bags of feces, tennis balls filled with concrete, water bottles that have been frozen, uh, all hurled at the police, fireworks lit off and thrown at them, lasers that cause permanent damage, you know, shine in, in their eyes. Um, absolute disorder and chaos and lack of respect for authority. But what is the public outrage over, or at least that you see on, on social media? It's that in response to that, the police use tear gas? What? Like those guys with authority of law that are protecting these buildings from $20 million worth of damage and are being acts of violence are done against them, they were responding? Like that, that's what the outrage is over, and it's crazy. It is crazy. But you know our response and how we engage in public, it can't be the same way that the public engages everybody, right? We're not here to find what is the right side of R or D, you know, what political party is correct and then champion that cause. That's not who we're called to be. Our loyalties are to the kingdom. Kingdom's bigger than Republican and Democrat. We don't serve at either their authority, right? Did you get a good picture of me? I was trying. No. <laughs> Authority is a big topic in Scripture, and I want us to take a closer look at it. I'm going to read from Matthew, Matthew chapter 8. You don't have to turn there. Just know the story is both in Matthew 8 and Luke 7. If you're taking notes, write stuff down. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. Now, a centurion, um, that's an officer in the Roman army. So he has higher commanding officers above him and uh, Roman um, governing officials. And then below him, he's got your common soldiers. Okay, So he's in this middle of the chain of command. So he comes to Jesus and he asks for help. He says, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority. You say that with me, say under authority. authority. With soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. There's two ways that Jesus is astonished that we see in the Old Testament, or in the Old Testament, New Testament. Why do I keep doing that? And there's only two. It's by faith and lack of faith. Well, this guy, this centurion, he, he astonished Jesus with his faith. And he responds to him. He says, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Go, it will be done just as you believed. The centurion's faith amazed Jesus, but what informed his faith? His understanding of authority. See, he knew, I am under authority. And as I act within that authority underneath, obeying what my commanding officers have to say, well then, I have authority to tell my soldiers what to do and they listen. 
and he knew Jesus, he understood that he was actually a man under authority too. You see, in John 5 and John chapter 8, Jesus says, the son can do nothing on his own. Jesus was fully God, yes. However, he says of himself, the miracles that he did, he didn't do it because he was God. He did it as a man fully surrendered to the Father. And he did only what he saw the Father seeing and heard him doing. That's how he walked in authority. My first day um, on the job in uniform as a deputy sheriff, I came back. I graduated from the, uh, the police academy, and uh, I came back, and I was under training on the job. And late in that day, I remember we came back to the office, and the sheriff saw me and said, Hey, Brian, have you arrested anybody today? I said, No. He goes, Good. You don't have any authority to do that. <laughs> oh, you see, I'd re- I, I had my commissioning from the state uh, uh, board as a peace officer, but I hadn't been sworn in by a local magistrate. And so he called me in. I had to raise my right hand. I had to swear an oath. I had to, to protect um, the, or to uphold the Constitution of the United States and the, the Constitution of the state of Washington and to uphold the laws and, and local ordinances. If I wasn't under that authority, I didn't have any authority. You know, and a little bit later in, in my, my, my time there, actually on the last day um, that I was in training, so police officers in, in this state anyway, you've got a, a 720 hours at your law enforcement academy, you graduate, you come back, and then you have usually three months of training with another officer. Usually you have three different officers and three different uh, phases throughout that training. And that very last day that I'm with uh, another officer and before they send me out, say, yep, you're good to go out on your own. Um, the sheriff, when well, we had a meeting, and, and, he, and, and he gave me this. Uh, I actually came across it the other day, so I thought, this is cool, I should bring it. It's a little pocketbook of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. And he said, all right, well, it sounds like you're good to go uh, out to enforce the law on your own. But, like all new guys, you're going to be working graveyards for who knows how long. And we're in a rural county, we're not real busy from like midnight to six. So you're going to have a lot of time. Read that so you understand the authority you're under. If we're not under authority, we don't have any authority. And we're called to have authority. You know, we can't claim a spiritual reality without living that out in truth in this reality right here. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So we're called to walk in authority, to walk in spiritual authority. And so I just want to look at the words of Paul this morning and just ask ourselves, are we undermining the authority that we have because we're not living under authority? You know, is this a universally true principle? 
about being, you know, obeying your government and obeying your governing officials. There are certain scriptures that are like, this is true 100% all the time, no questions asked. Like, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, right? That's, that's true all the time. You can't, there's, there's no getting around that one. But there's other things in scriptures like, well, yeah, that's true, but sometimes it's held in tension with other things that are also true. Um, for example, divorce. Like, divorce isn't good. It's not. Um, but sometimes, on occasion, that's like the, the best option for somebody. Like, we're not to be subject to, um, you know, consistent abuse or, or just total unfaithfulness. And if you think divorce is always a sin, well, then God committed sin. Because in the Old Testament, he writes Israel's certificate of divorce. So it can't be that way all the time. So there's truths in Scripture that are, yeah, that's true, but it's, it's held in tension with other stuff. It's also true, right? And I think that about this passage, like, this is really, really true, um, that we should live in submission to government authorities. But like, if I'm living in Germany in the 1930s and my Jewish neighbors are being, uh, ins- not enslaved, but thrown in prison and murdered, like, I think I'm okay with challenging, you know, my government and standing up to them and doing something a little different, right? Like, that's, that's definitely held in truth or held in tension. So to interpret, you know, the, this passage... I think we need to look at what comes um, just before it. You see, when Paul wrote Romans, or when, when all of Scripture was written, it wasn't like, well, here's chapter 12, here's my thoughts, and now a new thought, chapter 13. It was hundreds of years later that these chapters were, were divided. So these thoughts are connected. So let's look at Romans chapter 12. You can bring that up, please. And I'm just going to read um, some of these imperatives. And I think this really informs kind of the attitude and the spirit that's behind this Romans 13. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another uh, above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Can you say that with me? Say, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think we have a lot of the answer right there. Like, is it, is it our job to, uh, because our governor or our president has a decree we don't like, to, uh, uh, you know, fight them on it? Well, it, even if it's un- an unrighteous law, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He's the one that takes the vengeance, right? We have a specific, there's really, there's two specific things in the New Testament um, that I want to look at, at how we're supposed to, uh, how we're supposed to respond. 
I'm going to read you from 1 Peter chapter 2. Very similar passage. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will. Check this out. That by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. So do we overcome ignorant talk of foolish men by engaging with them in argument? So it's by doing good. By doing good, we can silence that. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Do good. Do good. The last one I want us to look at is in First uh, Timothy chapter 2. Can you bring that up? I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Do you see that praying for the kings, praying for governing authorities is connected to peace in society and that peace in society is connected to the idea that God wants us all to be saved? Isn't that amazing? Elections are coming up. I want us to consider and be careful how we talk about whoever is coming into power. Vote. You, you are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And what you do on earth has power in heaven. Vote your conscience, whatever it is. I don't, I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm just saying vote your conscience. But if your guy doesn't make it, don't speak evil about him. Do good. You pray for them that there'd be peace in the land. We get to prophesy in part. We get to know in part. Paul says that, Paul says that when he's talking about prophecy, right? He says, but when the perfect comes, we're going to know all things. So right now, we get to declare heavenly things, but we don't know the whole picture, right? Nebuchadnezzar was an evil king. He was wicked. But God used him as part of his redemptive plan. Don't war against what God's doing. Worship team, would you come? Let's stand. Lord, I thank you for what you are doing in the earth. I thank you for what you are doing in Vancouver, Washington, in Portland, Oregon, and Clark County and the surrounding area. 
God, I want to stand with what you are doing. Lord, where, where I just want to lead this church in a prayer of repentance. I know where I have been um, sub, subversive to the authorities over me. Lord, I, I repent. God, and I, I just want to have an attitude of respect and honor for authority. Lord, I pray that we would lead our neighbors, lead our friends, and lead culture in that, Lord. And I pray in that we would bring peace, that we would bring peace to this world, peace to this country, peace to this area. Lord, I lift up Governor Inslee to you. God, I pray that you would give him wisdom to lead this state. God, where there are specific problems of, uh, Lord, where there's homelessness, I pray that you give him wisdom to end that. Give him wisdom to lead us to, 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 to heal this racial divide in our, yes. in our people, in our state. God, I pray that you bless him, and through the blessing of him, we would live peaceful, quiet lives. Lord, I pray the same for President Trump. God, may he be able to, to, to lead this nation and bring unity. Lord, for the cause of, 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 the, of the pre-born, Lord, we, we pray that you would give him wisdom that he, that he would uh, end the destruction of their lives. Bless our President Trump. Thank you, Jesus.